So for the last couple of months over the summer, Pastor Lars and myself have been meeting with our 10th graders uh, and their parents to read through their confirmation faith statements. And it's really one of the things I most enjoy doing over the summer. This is because I get to see and listen to the thinking that these young people bring to these matters of faith. Things that uh, inform their life of faith, if you will. Now, for those of you that have not been part of confirmation for a while, we have some very bright students. They like to get into good discussions. They ask very probative questions to try to get to a deeper understanding. But what often strikes me in reading the statements, however, is that people, the young people often try to tell us what we want to hear, not necessarily what they believe. Now, Again, I haven't specifically talked about this with Pastor Lars, but I think he would agree. These very bright young people do a very good job of extracting the facts about a good faith life, and they do a very good job of formulating good assertions or good arguments to evidence that assertion. This is actually not all that uncommon, because I often hear many of the same things uh, when I teach the Wednesday Bible study, as an example. So it's this factual assertion part. It's easy for us to fall back into a pattern of believing that if we know enough information that we will have the knowledge that we need or maybe if we need to experience something like going to Jerusalem and having that experience of being in the place where something in the Bible happened, yes, that will make me a better person and and even better a Christian. However, in the confirmation interview, and as well in the Bible study, what I try to probe out in our conversations or to gain a sense of is where the facts end and where faith begins. Now, I know Pastor Lars does the same thing because I had my own son's faith statement interview with him just a few weeks ago. What we're actually listening for, again, is what they believe. What is their line in the sand? What is it that they're willing to defend? And we get into some great conversations. Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So our lives are made up of things that we have done or things that have been done to us, things that that we have been exposed to, this kind of gained awareness we call experience. The gathering of facts, information, acquired skills through experience or education that gives a theoretical or practical understanding of facts or of a situation is what we call knowledge. And the ability to make considered decisions or to come to sensible conclusions we call judgment. Now, if we combine all of those things and they overlay each other, the application of experience and knowledge and judgment This is finally what we call wisdom. Wisdom is one of those attributes in our culture that we really widely respect and we hold up. We inherently respect people we feel are wise. And the converse understanding to wisdom is foolishness. Now for the last several weeks, we have been learning and preaching from this book of Ephesians, and much of what we have heard from these texts is the ongoing ebb and flow between Christian identity and Christian conduct. 
We have heard that while the categories of this world will divide us, we are unified as one body in Jesus Christ. We've heard that we are chosen by Christ as God's children, not by works or by reason or knowledge, but we are chosen by grace through faith alone. We have heard what it means to live as God's chosen people with each other and in the world. And finally, that we are called to be imitators of Christ, to show his love and compassion to others around us. Now today we hear this exhortation from the end of Paul's letter to live as wise people in evil days, not to be foolish, but to understand the will of God and to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So from a prison cell nearly 2,000 years ago, Paul seems to be writing in a particular voice that is fitting for our lives today. Because living wisely involves discerning and recognizing the will of Christ. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. But while seeking this discernment, this understanding, if you will, we often turn God's will into our will justifying ourselves through our works rather than seeing Christ's will being brought about in the cross alone. You see, those caught between what the world defines as wisdom and the wisdom given by the Holy Spirit find themselves in quite a tight spot because the world does not understand wisdom and faith and will call it foolishness. So how does that sound? Well, if you remember a few years ago when Jesse Ventura was governor in Minnesota, he made the claim that organized religion was a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people. More recently, we have found an attack while driving down Minnesota Avenue as the free thinkers have again gone after the existence of God, trying to challenge it with scientific reason. And I've said this before, what I think is most hilarious is that we have those that seem to be opposed to or trying to not deny the existence of God, paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to put up billboards using God's words and his stories. Who's the foolish and the wise? But I think what's going on in this world is that wisdom becomes proof. As humankind has evolved, this has been one of the most sought-after conclusions. How do we find proof of God? Is there even really a God? But a truly scientific approach, the truth of God's existence, actually cannot be proven or disproven. It has been said that it takes more faith to believe in the cosmic accident of creation from a scientific standpoint, that is, than to believe in creation by God. But the great debates and theories and studies of the sciences still all point to God's creative work. Even Charles Darwin recognized what he called evolutionary creation in his work in The Origin of the Species as natural selection. We Christians simply call this God's election. Now, I'm not here to say that there aren't, of course, great things that have come through the study of the sciences and by scientific endeavors. We can watch the news and see the benefit of human scientific endeavors and how it benefits us. The fact that we are all here today, generally mask-free, I say that hesitantly, 
which was impossible a year ago, is due to scientific discovery and the benefit of vaccination. As we saw a couple weeks ago, we are on the verge of space tourism. This last week, my oldest son, who many of you know is a wildland firefighter for the federal government, called me from on top of a mountain in the middle of Montana to tell me he was okay and that his crew was good and safe. Any of you that has experienced a successful joint replacement knows the meaning of the restoration of life. The fact that I preach from an iPad and don't have to write out my sermons anymore, it's all good stuff, right? There are many good things that come from scientific endeavor, but at the end of it all, wisdom gained in the sciences still cannot explain our deepest questions. And as many resources that are channeled, we still cannot hold off death, except by one way. The wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. This is 1 Corinthians 3. So where then does that leave us today? You see, to live as wise, to seek the understanding of the will of God, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it is not just enough to know information or to have knowledge. It is not even to stand in a certain place like in the Holy Land where a certain event in the Bible took place that gives the experience that you need. It's not just enough to come and eat bread and drink wine, but it is finally the gift of faith given in God's Word that is in God's Son, in the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ which turns the wisdom of this world on its head. And it is finally this wisdom that comes in faith that gives you purpose and understanding, hope, life, and peace. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9. Friends and hearers of God's word, the, word, the work of the Holy Spirit has brought you here today, not so that I can stand here in this pulpit and give you more information for you to gain knowledge or some concept to ponder that will add to your worldly wisdom. No, the Holy Spirit has brought you here today to give you the real thing, the thing that you seek in life. I'm not here to simply give you a sign of God's goodness, but I am here to truly give you Christ, the one true thing. And that is to speak God's word to you, to tell you the promises that come only in Jesus Christ. Jesus meets you here where he has promised today and he gives you his body, he gives you his whole self. Jesus finds you where you are in your life experiences, in your knowledge, and gives you a gift that passes all of that understanding and that reason. And it is total forgiveness and life in him. He takes what is yours, your sinfulness, your brokenness, your burdens, he takes it all on himself and he goes to the cross. He's nailed for it, he bleeds for it, and dies for it. These things are no longer yours. And in exchange, he gives you himself, his righteousness, his goodness, a new life in him alone. As Luther said, Jesus gives you himself so fully, it is as if you have consumed him, toenails and all. Then Jesus promises to abide in you, that he dwells in you, in your spirit, 
as you've been joined with him through baptism. And in Christ, when God looks on you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees his son, the one whom he loves, the one whom he raised. And in today's gospel, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Eat only of me and do not seek the bread of the world, the manna that only fills the belly, which is to seek the glory and wisdom of the world. But when you eat of Jesus, your life comes backed by an eternity of promise. And life as we live, not in foolishness, but in the wisdom of faith in Jesus Christ. Wisdom in faith is one of the most powerful pieces of knowledge that we have, knowing that we are chosen by God, that we are loved, that he is with us in all things. And so that you would experience his goodness in all that you do and all that you are, and that you would have your reason surpassed and would see no other way than to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Now this is true wisdom. And to live as wise people in Christ is to live in his light and in his love. This text also reminds us that living as wise people in Christ is very personal, but it is not private. Each of you is a new creation in God's choosing, and this new self was not made for isolation. It was made for gathering. It was made as a member of a body, of a whole body, and we are called to live with and for each other. Having new life in Christ means that we are not dormant and secluded, only sharing our faith with those who may sit next to us in the pew. But we are called to take this good news into the world, to invite others and to welcome others to experience the same joy and freedom, one in the wisdom of the Spirit. And so Paul's final words for us today are that we would sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with our hearts as we give thanks to God, our Father, at all times and for all things. And so let's do that now. Thanks be to God. Amen.